abducts one small mic for man, one giant pod for mankind. I just want to save NASA. Yo, stop snitching. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to We Bought a Mic. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. Jadis and I. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you guys back in my life for the first time this week. Mm. It's, a, it's a great, great thing we do here. It's a, it's a service to America and to the future of this country. I think that We Bought a Mic is more important than everything that's happening with the Senate, or not with the Senate, with the Supreme Court mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, so it's basically, you know, on. podcasting is really the same thing as the space program. Yeah. It's clearly the same amount of risk and yep. timeliness and yeah. just sheer patriotism. Yes, keep going, hope. keep going. <laughs> Cooper could be proud. I'm getting hard. <laughs> Ask not what you can do for yeah. man. Ask what what you can do for for mankind. Mm-hmm. And unlike what Ryan Gosling said, we all of us here at We Bought a Mic do accept our status as American heroes. <laughs> we don't decline it. We all have American flags on our suits that yeah. we wear. We we all wear matching suits. Yeah. Fox Every News week. is on in the background as we're talking. So yeah, yeah, we got on, this. on mute. It so, keeps my face red. <laughs> Today we're we're talking First Man, the new film from Mr. Damien Chazelle, and catching up on some TV. I think Hunter saw another spooky film. I did. Um, yeah. Spooky in quotations. Oh, okay. I think you'll have some things to say about that. Um, but before we get to that, we we don't have any news. But we're going to talk a little music. Or I guess I'm going to talk a little music because I don't I think you guys... I listened to one of these albums. You did? Okay, okay. And you can probably guess which one I did not listen to. So, first off, I'll be brief with this. I listened to the new 21 Pilots album, Trench. First of all, why? Well, because... Let's let's be honest here. We used to be really into Twenty One Pilots. We about were four years into ago. one album by them because I will stand Vessel. by it. Vessel is a really good album. Yeah. However, the sta- the steps that they have made as a band, I am just so far against. It's it's not even fathomable. Like what steps? Like selling out to Suicide Squad? Um. Well, that that was already like I already hated uh, a lot of stuff off their uh, last album, Blurry Face. Is that the name of the album? Yes. Yeah. Um. They went for this extreme stripped down, gentrified reggae rap kind of thing, and mixed with pop music. And I just hated everything about it. Even if the songs themselves weren't terrible, I just hated the direction. I was like, this it, this shouldn't be a genre of music. Yeah, it was it was kind of head scratching because they were already a combination of like kind of genres that you don't see a lot. So it was yeah. already like, oh, you got something. It's like emo, and then it's pop, and it's also alt, and it's also a little bit of rap. But it was, was all watered down. And, well, and then they they bring in reggae, and it's like you're you've gone too far. You've flown too close to the sun. A lot of the synth sounds on Blurry Face were like verging on like dubstep garbage type stuff yeah. mixed with reggae. Uh, I'm not saying that they're like the worst thing out there. I do agree with a lot of the backlash they get just for the fact that what they're doing is not 
as important as a lot of their their fan base is truly convinced that they're the most important band in the world and that they are the first band to ever talk about their feelings <laughs> and be <laughs> depressed when the whole point of all indie music ever is depression and it's always always funny when you see 14 year olds going like i love hip-hop yeah. 21 pilots <laughs> is my favorite band yeah and just like kids the, just like i i'm blurry face and i care what you think <laughs> it's yeah it's just if I mean it, it makes sense because it, it made pop radio, so it it could be someone's first foray into depression music, or, or introspection, or anything on that level. But it is surface level introspection. It is not really introspective music at all. Well, I I think a lot of Tyler's lyrics can get very very deep and meaningful on certain tracks. Like I know Vessel as a whole is a very uh, just kind of gut-wrenching personal album you know i yeah. some some of the songs like car radio has kind of been memed to death but like if you really but that's a deep song yeah. like that song like and it's is, sad gets into it it's like, really sad so vessel I, I don't know do you agree drew that vessel is a great album like what um said? i wouldn't call it great i i have there are definitely probably three songs on there that i will stand by um i never got into it as a whole i okay. know that when we all lived together we did have it on uh, a good amount though and i was never like turn that shit off like i always was like yeah yeah okay i love i love the opener ode to sleep trees towards trees the is end a great song. ode, yeah, to, ode to sleep is my favorite yeah I would say. that's an amazing song and i don't think they've ever kind of reached the visceral high of that song but i i went back and i listened to blurry face because it had kind of left my mind entirely i went back and i listened to it this week there's some solid songs on that album there's, there's some a, good shit there is there. some decent songs but it never reaches the highs of vessel and it has much lower lows like lane boy is a truly terrible song and yeah. there's a couple of those there are yeah, there. they're yeah. just they're supposed to be like big hit songs that play a lot and they do play a lot on radios and everything else, but they're just straight up bad songs. Yeah, I, I remember at uh, my former workplace, Stressed Out got me very stressed out with how <laughs> often it played. <laughs> it just, uh, it reminds me a lot of how you'll hear periodically almost, like every two years there's a uh, little news story about how Rivers Cuomo wanted to do a hip-hop album, <laughs> and then the whole band had to talk him off the ledge. <laughs> this happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like no one stopped him <laughs> <laughs> well um like going back to blurry face like songs like we don't believe what's on tv you know with the with the yeah. ukulele i i just forgot that i really enjoyed this album when it came out despite some of the stuff that got overplayed even uh tearing my heart heart farts like that's a <laughs> that's a solid song in its own right and now going into this new album trench the singles sounded like doo-doo when they came out <laughs> like i was so not looking forward to this album because based on uh jumpsuit and um i don't know nico and the niners was another one that kind of didn't vibe too much with me um nico and the Niners. yeah but <laughs> i'm done no listen i listened through this whole album multiple times this weekend it's a good album it's a really solid good album I listen to it with headphones on. The production is of the best I've heard this year. Like the percussion and the synth work on this thing is absolutely amazing. And yeah, there are times when they start to kind of meander into the whole gentrified reggae shit and that it, the lyrics do get a little melodramatic, but as a whole, I think that this is a truly, truly good to great album. I, 
I don't know if it's going to make my top 10. It, it might, honestly, depending on how much it sticks with me. But I'm really, really enjoying it. Like, even hmm. songs like Jumpsuit and Levitate that I did not care for, now in the context of the whole album, sound really, really great. And even other tracks like Morph and Chlorine have really catchy hooks that just stick in my head. And it, I, I welcome it. It's great. Um I I I don't know. It was very unexpected that uh, about how much I enjoyed this album. Yeah, I, there's some really good stuff on here. I can't speak to the deeper songs on there because I just listened. I listened. The first two singles that were released were "Nico and the Niners" and "Jumpsuit." And I think I talked about it on the podcast that "Nico and the Niners." I thought that song was just completely forgettable, and I truly despised "Jumpsuit" the first time that I heard it. I'm now stuck at the place of your former employment, where is my current employment. I hear jumpsuit all the time, and it like gets under my skin in the same way that stressed out <laughs> got under my skin. It's just, it's so. I, what did you call, say about jumpsuit, Drew? I don't even remember. You said something about it was like MCR. Oh, um, yeah, just about 21 Pilots in general. I feel like if My Chemical Romance kept going, they would become 21 Pilots. It's like a, you either die... <laughs> a hero. Yeah, you either die MCR or you live long enough to be 21 Pilots. <laughs> I don't I don't want to talk... I haven't even listened to the album. I'm almost speechless because... But, but I, I'm you like telling it. you, I'm telling you, it's not trash. It's good. Like, it's really good. It's pop, you know? It's yeah. just a pop album, and it has these sensibilities. How would you of, compare like, it to, like, some of the other good pop albums of the year, like Ariana Grande or... I'd say um, it's probably on the same level production-wise. I mean, Ariana Grande... Went for a completely different type of is, sound. Is there a song called Ja is a Woman? No. <laughs> no, that some of the other tracks are My Blood, uh, Neon Gravestones, um, and Cut My Lip. <laughs> you guys can't say shit about Coheed song titles whenever that's the shit that you're listening I, to. I'm going to say shit about both of them. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going to look, I'm going to listen to it. I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, no promises of how my opinion will be. I will, I will give you this, though. The. An overlooked fact about them because they get a lot of shit and I think it's righteous in a lot of ways, but that dude's good with melody. And I think the problem is that his music is seen as so grand and important because I think Vessel had some some depth to it that when they got huge, lyrically, I thought that they really took a huge step back. Yeah, I think I, that was kind of my biggest problem with the second album. And I don't know how it is this album. Uh, I guess you can let me know. Well, I, I don't know. This... With Trench, okay, Vessel, I think, was the culmination of, like, probably years and years and years of work. I When you listen to that album, you can tell that it's Tyler and um, what's the other guy's name? I don't um, know. The drummer. Yeah. Damn, drummer I'm sorry. Boy. I forgot Little the other guy's boy. name. Um, oh, Paul. Yeah. Paul Meany, I think. Um, it's the culmination of probably years and years of work. And... I think Blurry Face may have suffered from not being worked on and labored over a lot, even though it's still like a pretty solid pop album in my mind. With Trench, they managed to still sound as something that has been labored over a lot. Like when you listen to Trench with headphones on, you can pick out little tiny production choices like uh, certain drum loops and certain synth lines and uh, little bass riffs and just tiny little production details that fill out the whole yeah. soundscape that are yeah. absolutely amazing. I, th I think that I, I think it's Brett that told us this, but uh, Tyler is, he is essentially obsessive compulsive with live shows, which is why they, 
the way that they accrued their fan base in addition to their content and like being emo hunks, I guess, is uh, their live shows are extremely well thought out and grandiose. Uh, and then in terms of production as well, like he it's it's a lot of him, which I always think that's impressive, whether or not I like the music. I think right. it's, I think yeah. it's pretty cool to work really hard at something. Yeah, I mean, I'll give this album a shot. I, to be honest, I mean, even though I wasn't as big on Blurry Face, I kind of was still, like, hopeful for what their future would be. And then they released Heathens, which I think might be, like, one of the worst songs of the last decade. Yeah, it's the Suicide Squad one. It is truly, like, <laughs> an abysmal song that kind of makes me want to cut my wrists. That, But not in, like, a good way. Ruined <laughs> that's In, like, the worst kind of a way. That song is... Uh, one of the main reasons why I had such low hopes for this album yeah. because I start to associate uh, 21 Pilots with Suicide Squad in my yeah. head. Like, it became synonymous. So I saw this fucking album cover with this Yeah, the album cover is really shitty. On it, and I was like, oh, fuck me. But I'm telling you, I was pleasantly surprised. All right, All right. maybe I'll give it a I'll, shot. I, I'm going to give it a shot. And like I said uh, last week, whether or not I like them, Nowadays, they have had a like. If you turn on alternative radio, it's mostly bands doing an impression of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very. I mean, music in general is kind of going to this genre bending place where it's just kind of all of it at once. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially in alternative, because there's this like identity crisis where they don't really know what to be anymore. You hear like big electronic production mixed with a little reggae, mixed with rock, mixed with emo lyrics, like. That's something that you hear a lot now, and that's entirely because of them. And you yeah. said rock music was dead last week. <laughs> Actually, I think I said that. <laughs> Thanks, 21 Pilots. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's move on to some more new music. Young the Giant, mm -hmm. their new album, Mirror Master. Mm -hmm. This is their fourth album, um, and it's following 2016's Home of the Strange. So I think I am the biggest Young the Giant fan here. Are yeah, you guys? I would I would call you that. I'd yeah. say that you're the biggest one. I still really enjoy uh, a lot of their music and stuff like that. I kind of I know that you're a huge fan of their uh, self titled album. I think that that's probably I, a, a masterpiece, flawless album. I it's really like that album. I actually like Mind Over Matter a little bit more than that. Their Ooh. 2014 album. There's just some songs that just like stick with me a little bit more. Home of the Strange was a little bit. It was kind of disappointing for me. I just re it's still like a solid album. There's some really good songs on it. Like Silver Tongue is an amazing yeah. song. Yeah, it is. But it was a little America bit too, of I a like dip that. down from the whole like. I think that their first two albums really don't have any filler on it at all. And mm -hmm. Home of the Strange definitely had a little bit of filler. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like this band. We've seen them live. I like them mm -hmm. live. They did a good job. His uh, voice is incredible. Oof, I don't know yeah. his name. Yeah, the, Samir. I, I also think their first two albums were more solid. I didn't like the third at all, honestly. Um, and I, I think their debut is probably my favorite. I think they suffer from what I will call um, Alabama shakes disease where the singer is just outclassing everybody else mm -hmm. in the band. And it's just yeah. like this, this dude needs some better people behind him. Cause especially later on, I just felt like the, his voice was just destroying the music, you know, like his voice is too good for the music. Um, especially he's he one of the best voices in, in rock right now. Yeah. Especially with home of the strange. I think um, I remember when mind over matter came out, I, was very surprised at the direction they took their sound because they start to introduce synths, mm -hmm. which were not in that first album at all. Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised by the the new sound. I think that uh, the self-titled and 
uh, Mind Over Matter are kind of two very different sounding albums. Yeah, definitely. But the direction that they start to take on Mind Over Matter, it kind of ended up becoming the direction that the band is at now. But with Home of the Strange, I had to like really try to get into that album. Like when it came out, I kind of kept forgetting about it. And I had to tell myself to try to go back to it. Um, and eventually I did start to pe- to pick out certain songs that I really like from it. And now looking at this 11 track uh, list, I can say that pretty much all these songs are really, really good. It, it, it's almost like the three out, al- the three first albums are three very distinct sounds all under the same umbrella of the same band. Um, they managed to make three completely different projects that you can still tell that were made by the same people. Mm. With Mirror Master, it sounds a lot more like Home of the Strange than any of the other three, but somehow they made it more poppy and more, um, I don't know, just listenable. Like, it, it, this album is sticking with me really well. It's, okay. it's a similar sound to Home of the Strange, but it's not going out one ear, uh, going in one ear and out the other. It's like really, really resonating with me. Okay. I've been able to listen front to back to this album and, and really, really enjoy these songs and, and take out, t- take away certain things that are very, very impressive. The, the opener track superposition has this really interesting sort of, um, um, what's that instrument called? A melodica guitar. Yeah. Oh, a melodica. <laughs> it's like a, like a, yeah, like a ukulele guitar so- sort of thing. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I almost said marimba. But marimba is the uh, xylophone yeah, type. Yeah, no, no, thing. no. Yeah, it's um, okay. so it has this really cool melodica um, melody yep. sort of in the background that that's really nice. Uh, Call me back is this really beautiful, almost ballad where Samir really gets to showcase his voice. All the instrumentals kind of take this backseat, and he just fucking goes for it with that falsetto. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the fifth track, Oblivion, almost sounds like this sort of post-punk sort of song Mm -hmm. like a vaccines type of thing or like um almost like they listened to a bunch of joy division before recording yeah i was gonna say like even some like death tones are in there like just like this like i mean they don't sound as harsh as them but there's definitely some of those vibes Mm -hmm. uh also the song uh tightrope Mm -hmm. has a really really cool production there with some cool synths and the closer the self uh, the the title track Mirror Master I think is amazing. This this is a really strong album. It's not it's not going to come close to those first two albums, but they made something here that is in line with Home of the Strange, and it seems like they kind of found this groove of being this very poppy rock band with some kind of worldly international sort of instrumentals going on yeah i i agree i feel like this is more of this is a tighter version of home of the strange mm-hmm. it's definitely feels like uh they i mean they i know that it was what home of the strange came out 2016 yeah right yeah um so it's been a couple of years but they really i this is the sound that they're going for it's not my favorite sound that they have had in the past but we're, there are some great highs on this album. I love Superposition, the first song in this album. It's a great melodica. song. It's a, amazing. That and Simplify, which yeah. was one of the singles. I think both of those are really Simplified's good songs. Simplify definitely kind of like the radio track, I think. But, I mean, it's still like a good song. Yeah. As far as like radio tracks go, Like I, mm. it is very this catchy. Is, this is kind of surprising me because I, I heard one of the singles on the radio. 
like I think yesterday and I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. probably simplify. I don't know. Maybe, but it was, I just, I hated it. You could <laughs> say it's very simplified. Yeah. yeah. The one thing with this album is that, um, if you had a problem with Samir kind of taking over and being the forefront of the band and everything else becoming ancillary, then that does not go away on this album. Yeah. He is still like, I mean, these ballads work because of his voice, but aside from that, like the song itself is very stripped down and kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, but he makes it, he, he elevates it so much with his incredible yeah, voice. I don't, I don't mean to talk shit about his band, but we saw them in probably, I think 2014 and it was right after their, yeah. their second album, they were touring their second album. And I was watching them on stage. It was like, he's the only one doing anything to keep us interested. Yeah. And the whole band is just standing there doing <laughs> nothing, giving no energy. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a reflection of how they work in the studio almost. Um, and again, that's not, that's not to talk shit. I don't listen to music. I hate music. I only listen to podcasts on Stitcher. Oh, it's a Sean and Hayes's voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, and that's why I gave it, called it Alabama shake syndrome. Cause I haven't even seen them live, but if you look up their performances on YouTube, Brittany, their singer is fucking slaying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then and the rest of the band, and then just it's just like these three dudes just, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because a lot of bands can, um, they kind of depend on that sometimes because that's what gets them attention. I know that that's at least with Alabama shakes, like having that, that singer, Brittany, like that's the show right there. She is absolutely magnetic. Yeah, And she did end up forming a different band. Oh, I didn't know that. It's called Bermuda triangles. And I don't think they put out uh, any, I don't know if they put out anything yet, but I, when I heard that, I was like very interested. Okay. Um, but yeah, this uh, this Young the Giant album, it's it's really solid. I am just really th- this is a band that's kind of near and dear to me. So mm-hmm. I will always listen to any album that they put out, um, and they haven't disappointed yet. Even though they're never gonna really top the perfection of that of that first album, I think that they're they're on the right track, and I hope that they keep uh, making music because they're very talented. All right, uh, let's move on to some stuff that we've been watching. So real quick. Uh, I finished Maniac on Netflix. Okay. I don't wa- spoil anything else. I'm not but- going to spoil anything. I just want you listeners to. Um, here's a challenge for the listeners: <laughs> if you've seen Maniac um, and you watch till the end of episode ten, email in or tweet at us at we bought a mic or we bought a mic at gmail dot com and uh, tell me what classic '80s film is referenced in the final. Uh, scene of this show Ooh, and you will right. win uh a handy wow so, oh okay all right big. nice Biggest i thought you were, weekly i thought that was gonna go a different direction i thought you were gonna be like email into the show and tell me what the fuck happened <laughs> okay so about that i overall i think that the story is very convoluted like way more convoluted than it needs to be but the last two episodes are amazing because of the acting i think everyone in this cast Thoreau, Stone, Hill, absolutely, and even uh, Sally Field, they all absolutely slay it in the last two episodes. That's Amazing. Good. Huge, huge, excellent finale to this uh, to this show. Again, the story, very kind of convoluted, and a lot of stuff doesn't quite wrap up as neatly as I would want, but the performances are stunning. 
Uh, so that's Maniac on Netflix. Uh, let me know what classic 80s film is referenced, and you'll win a, um, an unspeakable sexual act from from all of us. Oh, okay. That's like, <laughs> oh, all right. that's like a $4 value <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for free. Um, all right. Um, did anyone else watch Bad Times at the El Royale? No. no I, I, didn't I, heard, have a chance to I heard a lot of weird things about it, I've heard it, very, very mixed things. Some okay. people are saying it's one of the best movies of the year. Other people are saying that's trash. Where do you so, lie on this? So, Hunter, you were um, generous enough to give me your screener passes. Otherwise, yeah. I probably wouldn't have seen this. Or actually, no, I, I had plans to go see it. I've just been really busy. Um, so I probably would, still would have gone to see it. But, yeah, I did hear very, very mixed things. Um, first off, the title is really dumb because L means the in Spanish. Yeah. So bad times at the, the Royale, (laughs) bad times at El Royale, the El Royale. It's dumb, but this movie is kind of a dying breed, you know, an original script. Cause it's weird. Yeah. With, uh, with big name actors like Jeff Bridges and, um, Chris Hemsworth. They, they don't make movies like this yeah, anymore. And I, I think they were, we're starting to see a bit of a resurgence of this because there are a lot of, a lot of actors out there that kind of have nothing left to prove. Like in a, like Hemsworth, he's set for life, rich as fuck. He'll get roles till he dies. Cause he's a hunk. And why would he not do this? It seemed, I don't, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it seems like it mostly takes place in one location. Is that correct? It does. So the shooting schedule is pretty clean for this. You know what I mean? Like he probably didn't have to be there for that long and he gets to be in a weird movie. And he wears like the same thing the whole time. Yeah. Which is kind of, I think most of the movie he has like a shirt on, but it's, unbuttoned all the way so his abs are showing <laughs> so show I, I wonder if that was in his contract that he was like yo i've been working on these thor abs i i gotta show them off um this movie i i really value it because it is something original mm. um and i value it because the cinematography is stunning there's some really gorgeous shots in this movie but otherwise i was kind of disappointed i mean i i would still give it a positive review because i i was entertained and most of the performances are really great but it's it's a very very messy movie uh john ham one wasn't in it long enough he's only mm-hmm. in like the very the first act or so and then he doesn't show up again ah. uh, and that's a huge knock for me because john ham is a national treasure he's um, he makes a cameo in everything and, <laughs> yes. just, and then he just leaves um and the, the movie, it could have been a lot better because it's about all of these people who are in this like weird hotel, which is in the on the border between uh, California and Nevada. And it's just this kind of very weird, almost sleazy place. Yeah. And, and, and things get murderous. Yeah. And, and it could be this very like over the top Tarantino-esque type thing. Well, that was my question because the trailer makes it look very like... Tarantino light so I don't know if that's the vibe it is it is kind of wannabe Tarantino at times um Mm -hmm. but the thing is is Tarantino didn't write this movie Drew Goddard did so (laughs) it's not the dialogue isn't as punchy you know it's it's good it's serviceable like a lot of it is is great and a lot of the gore is great but it just seems like he's trying a little too hard to be Tarantino you know why I think Tarantino because of the royale Oh, Royale with cheese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the, when I hear that, I immediately was thinking Tarantino. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I wanted to see this movie just because I like Drew Goddard. He's made some good stuff. I mean, Cabin he, in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. He's um, made a bunch of TV. He did Daredevil. Uh, he's done. He's directed some episodes of The Good Place. 
Um, I forget what else he's done. But overall, I'd say the movie is solid. I don't think it's anything too crazy. It's way too long. And uh, in a little while, we're going to talk about a movie that's quite long. But with Bad Times at El Royale, you feel it. Like, yeah. I was ready for this movie to end. And it just kept going for like 15, that, 20 minutes. That kind of surprises me because f- from the trailer, I've I've just had a feeling it would be an hour and a half. Like It, it seemed, should be. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like, okay, it's one location, he murders. I can be out in an hour and a half. You know? Yeah, and I, I, that was hoping, I was hoping with the extended runtime that it was going to go into this really interesting place and would kind of have this almost Cabin in the Woods-esque twist. And it just doesn't. And there's a lot of stuff in this that is like flat out bad. Like I think Chris Hemsworth sucks in this movie. Aww. Like he uh-huh. sucks. He is Damn. not good. Um, some of the acting is shaky. Jeff Bridges is great as always. Um, and I forget the, uh, the main lady's name, the main actress. Her name is, I think it's like Cynthia. Where is she? God, she's billed so low. I don't know. Um, but, oh, yeah, Cynthia Erivo. She plays Darlene Sweet, and she's kind of like the main character that we Oh, follow. I thought you were talking about Dakota Johnson at first, and I was like, oh. Yeah, Dakota Johnson, she's uh, she's okay. She's solid. She's fine. Um, I just thought that Cynthia and Jeff Bridges were kind of the standouts. There's also this guy named Mark O'Brien who plays – oh, wait, no, that's not him. Lewis Pullman plays like the main kind of concierge bellhop of the mo- of the hotel, and I really enjoyed his performance. Hmm. Um, I would I would say it's 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 worth it, but not to go to a theater for it. the The only thing that I enjoyed about the big screen was the cinematography, because a lot of the shots are really hmm. beautifully composed, and they took the time to kind of build these beautiful sets and shoot in some. Um, really gorgeous landscapes, locations, stuff like that. So I appreciated that. But as far as the story goes, it really didn't do much for just, me. Just kind of boring? Not not necessarily boring. I was entertained for the first half or so. And there's some good uh, kills and some good laughs throughout to keep you engaged. But mm. the movie just being too long and never really like going anywhere thematically kind of disappointed me okay because you you have all these people who are in this place and you think that they're all going to like you think it's going to be like a twist on a twist on a twist yeah kind of like like mission impossible Mm. like the underground sequence where it's like twist on a twist on a twist you thought it was going to be that but it's like it doesn't really end up being that so it's okay i'd probably give it like a like a six or seven i mean okay even before you said that i was just gonna wait until it's uh streaming yeah i'll just that's kind of where I figured that I would be with this movie. It never really struck me as a movie that I would have to see in theaters anyways. Just the idea that kind of intrigued me as a movie that doesn't really get made much exactly. anymore. Exactly. That's so the that's, sad thing. That's why I kind of, that was my main interest in it, was just something like, oh, well, this is, I kind of want to support this just because movies like this don't get made. Yeah. Um, it's funny that Chris Hemsworth is in this because I know you guys haven't watched the latest The Good Place, but... uh what's his name larry hemsworth yeah. isn't it <laughs> shows up the completely forgotten hemsworth and he's just so upset because everybody he's just like i'm just a plain rock and everybody just wants to talk to me about my brothers <laughs> basically the one that's on westworld <laughs> um do you guys want to talk good place yeah yeah sure. we didn't watch the the latest one yeah but the the new season is here and we can oh yeah you weren't on the episode where we talked about it so let oh us you know did yeah yeah for we, we talked about the premiere the it was a double up um 
Okay, so this is a show. First of all, I realized something the other day. I was watching the rare, very rare case. I was watching live TV, and I was watching this. These promos for the Good Place kept popping up, and it, they made it look like the worst show in history. So if you're on the fence because you've seen promotional material promoting the new season, yeah, because they oh, always boy. have like special effects and stuff, and the special effects don't look super super hot in that show, right? Yeah. And you're always just kind of that's like, not really what the show is about whatsoever. Yeah, and you're like, is what is this funny? Um, so if you're on the fence, I I would recommend watching it obviously, and you know stick it out through the first season. It's like all I've on said. Netflix. Yeah, it is, and uh, even up to date, it's on Hulu. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, check it out. Season three, I think, is still going pretty strong. Uh, I like what they're doing. Like, I like that they, they keep on changing up the scenery. Now we are obviously, spoiler alert, we're on uh, Earth. And it basically, what's his name? Ted Danson, that's the character's name, yeah. <laughs> has returned. Michael. Yeah, has returned this uh, cast of characters to Earth to save them from dying in the first place. So that they can, he can prove that they are good people, so that they will be able to go to heaven. Because now Ted Danson is a good person, uh, good demon. Uh, one thing I want to praise is that it manages to accomplish all that without being convoluted. Which, when you talk about it, it sounds like not followable. Yeah, yeah. Wait, watching it, you can follow it though, which is I think that's impressive. <sighs> you know, I kind of I kind of miss the good place. I kind of miss like being up there. Oh right, right. right. Yeah, I, I kind of like I. I think it's cool what they're doing, and I, I'm interested. But I miss a. I miss them knowing each other. They. I know that what they're doing is very conceptual, but the kind of the bedrock of my favorite shows is that these characters know each other and have known each other for years. So it's kind of hard to watch them not have this chemistry when you know that they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I still love it. I mean, I still really like it, and I admire it, but. Well, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to like spoil too much about the episode that you guys haven't seen yet. But there is time jumps that we were actually starting to see, and I'm by the end of the third episode. I mean, I was still all in on the show, but now I'm like really all in just to see. <laughs> the show always gets me with something where I'm like, "All right, I think I know where the show is going," yeah. and then it always just fucking pulls the rug out from yeah, you over and over again. But not in like an in-your-face M Night Shyamalan kind of way, in like a way where it all still makes sense and you can go back and put the pieces together yourself. Like the first season, we kind of had this whole situation where we thought like, oh, okay, like this is the good place. But then if you go back and rewatch the first season, all the seeds are there for them to actually be in the bad place and you just don't ever actually put it together until the end. And this show is just so well thought out that I I just can't wait to see where this all yeah, goes. Yeah, I think that's the most impressive aspect. And, oh, shout out to, um, uh, I meant to pull up the actress's name, the new character that's introduced, oh, yeah. Chidi's love interest. She's awesome. Oh, she's show. great. Yeah. yeah as, um, I've seen her in some stuff before. I just can't remember her name off the top of my head. But. She, yeah, she's really good. We have some great performances. Uh, and again, the strength of this show is that there's nothing like it period Mm -hmm. there's just nothing like it and it's it's so hard to make a conceptual comedy most comedy movies suck because it's hard to make something where like a plot has to happen like it has to be in a movie uh and keep it funny like that is very difficult kind of an underrated tough thing to do and that's why sitcoms nothing really happens that's why cheers is the greatest sitcom of all time because nothing nothing happens so you just get to watch them be funny i do love um about it's all the show is so very meta and like they're talking about how um all these like changes that Michael is making interfering with everybody's lives are affecting 
the like natural order. They're like the Jaguars are good now. <laughs> oh, what? Blake Bortles, he's okay. Yeah, he's the- good. It's it's highly debated. <laughs> Those, yeah, I, I wanted to shout out. That was hilarious because they. <laughs> I mean, Mike sure talked about this before, but they wrote in, you know, they wanted this guy, this stupid Jason character to be a fan of the most mediocre team <laughs> and the most mediocre player. And then last year we even talked about how the Jaguars like were all of a sudden good. Yeah. And so they had to mention it <laughs> Yeah, and they made it into the plot. They made it like, oh, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> the, you the, made the, this happen. It's your fault that the Jags are good now. You're <laughs> fucking with the natural order of things. Yeah. Very, very uh, clever. I mean, the show is extremely smart. Um, With just throwaway things, too. Like, yeah. it'll just be one quick line, like, a thing that you'll miss if you're not paying attention. It's the funniest thing. Yeah. Um, some, some, a problem that the show has always had for me is that some lines kind of suck. Um, but, you know, that kind of is true of most shows. There, it's rare that a show is batting a thousand, especially, like I said, when they're more focused on moving an incredibly complicated machine forward. Um but yeah, I mean, I still love this show. Even if I'm, I'm kind of, I've been kind of lukewarm on it for the first couple of episodes. But like you said, I I know that something's coming. Mm-hmm. Like they're always going to keep it fresh. They're always going to change it up. Michael like, Sure is too much of a genius yeah, to ever let anything go stale. Exactly. In episode two, we got to watch Adam Scott be a dick. That was great. Which is all, it's rare that you get Prime to see that. Scott. Yeah, always fun. Um, and they're making more use of uh, Darcy Carden because they recognized her smartly as a national treasure. Yeah. She's a great actress. <laughs> Janet. Incredibly funny. Uh, and so they figured out how to write it into the plot that she now has a personality. You know, season one, she was a robot and she was hilarious. Now she actually is something. She has like and, a semblance of, of humanity and to she her. she calls Maya Rudolph her mom, the yeah. judge. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, humans have moms. So yeah, yeah. I need to try to have my own mom. Okay, Dad. Nope, that's weird. I won't do that <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I wanted to shout out the there's a good official Good Place podcast. So I know that it's very taboo to uh, talk about podcasts on a podcast. Oh, I'm about to do that um, in a second. So. But uh, it's hosted by Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Sean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got a great voice. And it's it's officially produced by NBC. So they get like the cast and the writers to guest on it, and That's they go in cool. depth, and, and it's great. Yeah, it's, great. it's a show. I mean, great writing staff: uh, Megan Amram, Jen Stasky, Joe Mandy, uh, obviously Mike Sher at the helm. The show's kind of got everything going for Formerly, it. Formerly uh, Demi. At a at a wig at a young bay. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, so go listen to them talking, not us. Yeah, he did leave. Uh, you know now what he's doing is he got a gig at Corden. Oh, great! So, <laughs> well, for a writer, that's a cushy gig. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, high paying, especially sure. when you were unemployed for a year. <laughs> oh boy! But uh, yeah, good for him. Good for the good place. Like even though I was down on it, I was down on it for most of season one, and then. Look, right. what, look what happened like I'm not gonna that's why I wasn't gonna come in and be like man I'm out of well, course of course I'm not yeah out. it's such a good show the the whole season is not gonna be them doing this yeah uh, this it, trial mm. this medical trial yeah no this, sh- way. this show is out there and it's smart and I trust it um yeah all right wait what podcast were you gonna talk about Hunter? um so <laughs> good segue um before I talk about the next podcast I don't know if you guys have checked this out yet or not but the ringer has put together this new podcast called Halloween Unmasked TheRinger.com. Yeah, TheRinger.com. <laughs> Shouts to our boss, Bill Simmons. Um, put out this podcast called Halloween Unmasked. It is truly incredible. Like, it, they have interviews from all kinds of different people. John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis, 
David Gordon Green, like people who were involved with the original film and filmmakers who were inspired by the first Halloween movie. How many episodes are out? Um, I think that four are out right now. Yeah, I'm listening to the fourth one right now, but uh, it's an eight episode. It's going to be like a mini podcast series just coming out throughout this month uh, in anticipation for the next Halloween movie. Um, it's it's just really good. The first episode goes into uh, John Carpenter's childhood, and he is a child from Bowling Green. And oh my kind god, of they go that far back. Kind of talking about how this town, this Haddonfield, Illinois, is basically like inspired by Bowling Green. It's a city that's ninety one percent white people. Where at one point, uh, somebody like his sister or something said that a black man like or one of his friend's sisters said a black man crossed in front of her on the street and so the dad came and hit the black man with his car and killed him oh my god and then just like called the cops like you need to get this body out of here like that kind of inspires this whole city of like deep-seated evil that's not on the surface and the whole kind of thing that they use that episode to more talk about is that everybody is wearing a mask in our own ways. And even if we're wearing a mask while we look at the mirror, we're not really being our true selves, which is kind of what inspired this Michael Myers character. Like anybody could be Michael. Mm. And that's what the first, Ooh. yeah, which is a horrifying thought, yeah. but I thought about it. It's a truly I've great, thought about just fucking truly <laughs> great podcast. And they kind of, they go uh, in depth in John Carpenter's life. And then they start to kind of analyze uh, Halloween itself from a commercial critical analysis the and cultural impact. Then they kind of uh, talk, for better or worse, about the sequels. Um, so I got a chance to watch Halloween 2 today. Um, this movie gets a lot of shit. It has like a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. Damn. Like a huge, huge dip in uh, critical acclaim from the first movie. Um, John Carpenter, of course, he didn't direct this. He did write this uh, film, though. And um, it was directed by Rick Rosenthal which he's done nothing after that. <laughs> but I I actually think this movie is it it's it's solid. It's a solid horror slasher movie. I mean, it's not it of course, it's not going to live up to the highs of the first movie, but there is a higher budget. I think it had like two and a half million dollar budget. So, there are some better kills in this movie than in the first movie just because they can do more. Um basically a uh, little bit of plot synopsis, some spoilers for Halloween two. I don't. I don't think thirty-seven year old. <laughs> a thirty-seven year old film at this point. Yeah. This movie takes up literally exactly where the last movie ended. Like the first scene of this movie is the last scene of Halloween. It's her I, upstairs trying to escape in the, the closet. closet. <laughs> I kind of like that. Walking out. It's at, it's super fucking cool because at the end of Halloween, the thing about that movie is. He gets shot six times, falls off the balcony, and then they go and look down and he's gone. Like, he, Michael is still out there somewhere. Yeah. So it picks up right where the last one ended. I, You know why that's so cool is because it avoids... Uh, like someone turning on the TV and then the news is like, it's been three months since the last thing. And you're like, oh, brother. Yeah, no, but I mean, and what was so cool about that first movie is imagine watching that as a child and you're like, oh my God, Michael Myers is still out there. Like he could come to my fucking house and kill me. (laughs) Um, So it picks up right where the last one ended. um, And we have Lori going to this hospital, of course, because she's been injured and everything else. And Michael is on this revenge hunt for her. He goes through and he, like, sneaks into the hospital and starts killing off people. 
uh, which I will say, um, if you had a problem with terrible acting by uh, side characters in the first movie, then that does not improve at all in this one. There's some, like, surgeons and nurses that are, like, fucking each other while they're on duty and stuff like that. There's a scene. It makes for a really cool uh, death sequence where it's, like, a nurse and one of the doctors, or maybe it's two doctors. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, But they're there in this, like, hot tub that's inside of the hospital. Because, you know, every hospital has a hot tub. And Michael, like, slowly turns up the heat to the point where it's, like, scalding. So they start to get out. And... He kills off the guy, like, quietly, and then he just, like, sneaks behind the girl and starts, like, touching her and everything, and she's just, like, kissing his hand, thinking that's the guy. And then she finally turns around and sees it's Michael, and he grabs her head and, like, shoves it in the scalding water and, like, burns her face off. Like, it's brutal, but it's really, (laughs) it's it's well thought out in kind of a sick and twisted way. Um, One thing that is widely hated about this movie is this is the movie that introduced the twist that um laurie stroh is actually a myers she was uh part of the myers family and then after all the shit happened he uh she was adopted by the stroh family there in town so why is that hated just because it seems kind of tacked on well it's because the cool thing about the first halloween movie is that michael myers could come from anyone yeah and now it's just like oh he's just coming for her because that's her family. okay yeah i I get that That that's it is kind of stupid like i prefer the idea that laurie stroh could be literally any helpless girl who's babysitting or something like that because i think that's much more troubling the way the way it happens in the original movie is that michael myers goes back he breaks out of the asylum goes back to his childhood home and he's just posted up there and laurie decides to go up to the door of this creepy haunted house that hasn't been inhabited since people were murdered there Mm -hmm. and she just goes and like knocks on the door real quick Mm -hmm. and runs away and then you see from inside the house michael myers standing there watching as she does that and he's like so you're my sister (laughs) (laughs) um one thing i will say uh in halloween 2 shouts out to the doctor uh donald pleasance who plays a dr loomis yeah he's like he's the fan favorite he's giving uh uh performance that is almost like she he's trying to get an oscar his performance (laughs) is so fucking over the top but in like the best kind of a way he's there's one point where you know he's been involved in all this and he was responsible for michael myers escape so he uh he's getting like court-martialed back to the back to his hometown and everything else and uh he like realizes that Michael's still out there and is just like, you have to turn this car around right now. And the guy's like, no, I got very strict orders from base. And so he fucking pulls a gun on the court martial. I was like, you will turn this car around right now. I will fire a warning shot <laughs> and like shoots a hole through the car. Yeah. There's really there's so a- over the top. <laughs> there's kind of nothing better than when an actor kind of knows that they can be cheesy and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like when it's not out of place. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just it fits in perfectly. Yes. Yeah, the story. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, OK, this guy sticks out like a sore thumb but in a, yeah in a halloween movie that guy was probably like you know what i'm just gonna go i'm for just it. gonna go for it yeah it's and like it's does. like in law and order every side character <laughs> on that show is just like you know what they this, overact this my, the hell yeah out they're of like it. you know what this is my three minutes and i'm gonna take it yeah and i mean it it works really really well i i i think that he actually gives like a very good performance um uh, as far as for what he is, he gives a good performance. Um, overall, I give this. Yeah, he died in like 1995, yeah. I think, or something like that. But um, 
I'd give this movie like a solid seven. It's not as far as like slasher movies go. It's really not that bad. Um, I'm about to make the trek into the piss poor Halloween movies because John Carpenter was still involved. Season in this of one. the Witch is next. He wrote this and he uh, was EP on this, so he had a lot of uh, creative control on this one. And he leaves after this film for season uh, when they make Season of the Witch, which. By the way, Michael Myers isn't even in that movie. It's yeah, but I've, I've heard that he kind of wanted this, if it was going to be a series, to kind of be like that anthology approach. That's what I heard. Yeah, but I mean, and that might have worked, but then they abandoned that from the fourth Halloween movie. Right, and right back the to return. Because nobody cared about Season <laughs> of the Witch. So, Damn. yeah, um, overall, it's, it's solid. If you like slasher movies, watch Halloween and then watch Halloween 2. All right. Um, let's Bold take. <laughs> yeah. Watch the first if one you, and then the second well, one. Watch, watch the second one. <laughs> then wait a few months. Then go back and watch the first one. Watch the new one, which is the sequel, but it's just called Halloween. It is the third Halloween. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know who doesn't scare me? A carpenter. You know who does? A zombie. Oh, no. Rob Zombie. Oh, no. That's my take. Watch the Rob Zombie one. No, don't don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. I'm making a pointed effort to uh, completely avoid the Rob Zombie Halloween movies because they suck. So <laughs> yeah, they're they're garbage. Okay, all right, let's take a break, yep. and when we get back. We're talking first man. weekend i um blew up in a rocket and i died and now um i went through a wormhole and uh Murph! <laughs> tars i came back through my bookshelf funny because this week i was tom hanks and yeah houston had a problem yeah exactly yeah. and also um i was on a mission to split an asteroid in half so that each half would uh, miss the Earth in opposite directions as I talked to my daughter and Steven Tyler sang in the background. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, baby. And then I teared up because... I'm Bruce Willis. That sounds definitely Fun good. Fun fact, did you guys know that Armageddon is on Criterion? And yeah. they've tried to, like, remove that from existence. Like, I feel like even the Criterion crew were like, 
All right, we have a Michael Bay film on fucking Criterion right now. Like, it's it's hard to get it. I have a DVD copy of it, but you, like, can't find that anywhere. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a collector's it item. It really is a collector's item. Proud of you, So, like, show like this exists. See, that's why I'd buy, like... That's why I have, like, 683 Blu-rays, because one... You never know. Collector items. Yeah, that's why I have my Furbies. <laughs> you mean Beanie Babies? No, my Furbies. <laughs> I don't think Furbies are rare, Drew. They were no, they were the, like that. They were like the Beanie Babies for a second. It was like, oh, for a second. It was like just you wait, you know. Um, but enough about First Man. Wait, <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep talking about Armageddon for the next hour. Did you guys know that Steve Buscemi is in that movie? Yeah. What does he play? He Alien? plays the asteroid. <laughs> um, so, 1998 was a great year. I think that's Andy Circus. Andy Circus plays the asteroid. I think I just broke my back. <laughs> that's not good. I was I was just cracking my back, and I it went too far, and I broke it. Oh. So enough about first. And man. we're back. Okay. <laughs> So, Chazelle. Do you want me to keep running down let's, the cast let's of do... uh, Armageddon? <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, before we get started, let's talk about uh, your guys' relationship with our boy Damien. Uh, I mean, we talked about Whiplash the other week. You weren't here, Drew. We, uh, we talked about Whiplash, talked about how hard our dicks get when we watch that movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to try to dissent on that. I love Whiplash. It's unbelievable. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of a debut. It gave, you know, it gave J.K. Simmons a whole new life. Um, uh, La La Land, I really, really loved it when I saw it. Uh, in retrospect, I really, really, really loved the ending. And there was some... Part- oh, the whole musical montage thing? Yeah, I oh. thought that was... Pr- that's maybe like... That's top five endings of all time. For you me. don't see that in big uh, Hollywood movies. Yeah, and it was just it was just kind of perfect. Like the way that that ends in such uh, it's kind of anticlimactic in a way where that big Hollywood ending tells you like yes they're oh. gonna both be successful and they'll be together, and that movie just says like you can't have both of those things like you can't put each other's lives on hold, and also like you can't you can't achieve your dreams and be in love with somebody if you guys are going to go in completely different directions yeah uh, i think it's really beautiful yeah it's yeah i still like the movie uh i've never met a single girl who likes that movie or (laughs) emma stone in that movie yeah just i don't know that's a strange thing maybe we're just all emotionless dunderheads who appreciate good directing more than a good emotional through line um, it might also be due to Chazelle's script. You know, maybe he's just one of those direct- directors who has a hard time writing uh, a female character. Because I think Emma Stone, I think her performance is what makes that shine and not as much the script. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I do, I understand the criticism, even if I kind of disagree with it. Granted, I'm just like a white dude over here, so I don't really have like, I can't tell people what they should feel whenever they watch a female performance that they feel is underwritten. But Damien Chazelle has kind of, namely in the La La Land Moonlight uh vain he's kind of become like this enemy of hollywood in a really like weird way i don't know if you guys know what i'm talking about where he like he beat he he beat uh barry jenkins for the best director oscar no but because of like it there became such a split dichotomy of like right. you have to like either whiplash or la la not land, both but not both <laughs> and i like both of them i actually prefer la la land to whiplash because again um you're wearing I'm a, a patriot's white, jersey and yeah you know <laughs> I love me some Trump. I got my MAGA hat on. Um, 
But I just, I don't think that it's really fair that people have kind of just, he, he's kind of just been looked at as like this guy's like, oh man, well he made La La Land and blah, blah, blah. Moonlight was better, blah, blah, blah. White people are suck now. So I don't think that's fair. I think that Damien Chazelle is, I'll say it. I think he's the best director working right now. I think that he elevates movies that are mediocre to being fantastic. And I think that that all goes back to him just as this wonderful visionary. He has little uh, remnants of early Spielberg. Some, I think that he has some great like Fincher with how snappy he can write some dialogue. Uh, definitely a lot of Chris Nolan. A lot of, yeah, but I think that he is able to take something that would otherwise be convoluted, like we'll talk about in First Man, and make it entertaining and make it uh, make sense. Okay. Like I, I love La La Land. I think that movie has a lot of problems, but that's a movie that you see on the big screen and you're absolutely wowed by it. It's, I mean, the thing is, no one walked out and there was no controversy over direction of that movie. Mm-hmm. That was the, the opening scene alone. I could watch that on a loop. Yeah, it's, it doesn't, like, no matter how you feel, it is not valid to say that that's not a good looking movie. It's gorgeous. The shots are perfectly framed. The way that transitions, cuts, everything you look for in directing is there. If you don't like the plot, then that's totally fine. I mean, I'd, it'd be fine with me if he just directed and didn't write so much. Um, but yeah, so going into First Man... Uh, the meme was like, this is the first movie not about jazz. It still has uh, Daddy Goss starring as Neil Armstrong. Um, this is basically bookending a very uh, varied first three movies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very, it's not like three scary movies, three of anything. Like they're extremely different um, in almost every single way. This is the most ambitious movie I would say that he's made. Um, even though La La Land, it's you know making a musical is pretty ballsy, yeah. honestly. But I yeah. mean, it was ballsy for him to do this kind of thing and then say, "I'm gonna make a biopic now." Like, and I was a little bit kind of had some mixed feelings whenever I heard that he was making a biopic. Seemed like a safe move. Yeah, it just it seemed like it was kind of his Oscar-y move to make. Even though he had already he had just won one. But like, yeah, but you know what I mean. I mean, every director eventually reaches this point where like, I'm going to make a biopic and this is going to be my piece. It's just weird that he made this for his third movie. Usually people focus on biopics later on in their career. Um, I will say, though, that of all the people for him to choose to make a biopic about, Neil Armstrong is the perfect person because there's nothing more tension-filled than being in a spacecraft where literally one thing can go wrong and you die and Chazelle is the ultimate master of tension. Yeah. So I think that this was the perfect landing spot for him. I think, I think this movie, um, it impressed me a lot. I I didn't quite enjoy it as much as I enjoyed La La Land and Whiplash. Like those two movies, I think are a blast. You know, they're so goddamn entertaining. First man isn't, but it's (laughs) still a very competently made film with great performances and, you know, really intense claustrophobic uh, sequences. I think the, the, the spacecraft sequences here are absolutely nerve inducing, even though, you know, you know what they're going to turn out as because, uh, it's historical, mm-hmm. but even so, you're you're still on the edge of your seat. 
um, it it's just so that um, it just so happens that m- most of the movie isn't that. Most of the movie is kind of laying this groundwork for Neil Armstrong as a husband and as a parent. And I think that all of that could have been done a little better. Um, I think the performances are great. I think Claire Foy almost steals the show in this movie. She's I loved magnificent. Her. She's so good. Um, but I don't know. There was there was just something that I just that wasn't clicking with me. That being said, I can't wait to talk about the very end because something happens at the very end of this movie that kind of recontextualized the entire movie for me. And even though for over two hours, I I was sitting there not quite satisfied with the film as a whole. By the time we got to the end, I I couldn't help but be, you know, completely flabbergasted and and my jaw dropped at, at, the ending that that we get here and i i think chazelle earns it Mm. i think it's a bold move um but i think he earns it and i think it all it pretty much saves the movie for me what do you think hunter um i think you're i more i think that this movie is kind of a masterpiece uh i think like damien chazelle i we i haven't had a chance to see his first indie film that he made um yet uh guy and madeline in the park or whatever Mm -hmm. but I mean, with the three major studio movies that he's made, he's three for three. Like, he is... I think that this movie, even if it might... I still have to think on this. Um, It might not be my favorite movie of the year, but I think this is the best movie that I've seen this year. Like, that I think top to bottom, there's really no flaws anywhere to be found in this movie. I think that... I don't think that it drags at all for having a two-hour two hour and 20 minute runtime and i actually i saw this movie a second time i mean we we saw the screener for it and i saw this movie again imax and i found myself really being almost more interested in the home life stuff and kind of studying neil armstrong as a person i almost said neil patrick harris um but studying neil armstrong as a person and as this guy who is He's trying to do his best, but he becomes so obsessed with this mission of trying to get to space and trying to get to the moon that he totally disconnects himself from his family and his home life. And it all kind of comes to a head in this uh, Oscar-type scene with Claire Foy and him really getting at each other. Uh, But I think that that all works really, really well. I think this movie is going to be divisive. Um, to uh, explain my uh, audience score for the movie, after the movie, I was tearing up. I went to the bathroom. And I look. I'm at the urinal, and there's three dudes next to me who are all like red, puffy, teary eyed. <laughs> and then I go up to wash my hands, and I was just like, "Yo, bro, did you really fall asleep?" And he was like, "Yeah, I fell asleep like 20 minutes in. <laughs> I didn't understand half of what was happening, and the other half I didn't care about." Oh. So I feel like that's kind of going to be the reaction to this movie. Is a lot of people are just going to be turned away from it because it is a biopic, because they're like, "Oh, well, I already know what happens," and. <laughs> So it's it's shooting a time that and I think that this kind of explains a lot about his character is that this is a totally different time. Fathers and men were all about just complete workforce and the women were the ones who had to carry the weight of taking care of the family. But I just think I think Neil Gosling or Ryan Gosling <laughs> gives a 
magnificent restrained performance. It kind of gave me vibes of um, the place beyond the pines of yeah. his performance in that movie where it is very restrained, but Claire Foy is incredible. There's a lot of that guys in this movie. Mm-hmm. Corey like, Stoll. Corey Stoll, Jason Clark, uh, Brian DRC James, Joel Lucas Haas, Joel Edgerton. Um, like there's so many people you're like, Oh, it's that guy. What's his name? I can't, <laughs> what is, who's that guy? But like, you know him from something else. Kyle Chandler, Kyle Chandler. Yeah. Pablo Schreiber, like there's so many in this movie, but I I really love this film. What about you, Drew? I really really uh, like this film, but I I kind of fall closer to you, Ernest. I don't. I think that the reason is because I feel like I already knew this movie. Not not the ending. I don't give a shit if I already know the ending. That's like that's like high school stuff. When you want to feel really smart, you're like, actually, I already know how it ends because I'm I know history. That's <laughs> that's stupid. I just mean I feel like I already knew the tone and the pacing and sadly I already knew it was going to be visually stupendous which is I think the biggest strength of the movie Mm -hmm. it I mean I've I don't think that Kubrick could have faked the moon landing but I think that Damien probably could (laughs) like and that's not even like it that's not a joke legitimately it's unbelievable and just the feeling of being in a spacecraft like I have no doubt that every single part of that process was so well researched and well actualized. It doesn't look like CGI ever. Nothing. No, no nothing. Yeah. Everything looks extremely, extremely real. And you, you get, you know, the emotion is transferred to you, which is the goal of any movie, the emotion of being in a spacecraft, the fear of anything going wrong. Um, the mystery of it all, it, that all worked really well because Chazelle the reason I compared him to Chris Nolan is because technically he can do anything. Mm. There's nothing, there's no technique he cannot do. Um, and the, the thing he has over Christopher Nolan is that he doesn't also <laughs> explain the shit out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he just lets things breathe and let them be. Yeah. And there were some points where I kind of got what those guys in the urinals were saying. Um, it's the same thing that I think I said this about rounders too, where they didn't, uh, bother to like dumb down all the mumbo jumbo. So there mm. were, I only felt that in a couple scenes. There were a lot of scenes where I was totally fine with not understanding because the the other side of that, the only alternative is you get like the black hole, you know, cutting a, a pencil through a piece of paper, <laughs> yeah. which I don't want that either. Um, yeah, these are supposed to be like some of the smartest people in yeah. science. Yeah, and we're talking. Yeah, we're talking about rocket science, literally. So there's only a certain amount you can dumb it down until I'm like, oh, this is Chris Nolan now. Yeah. Um, I for I think I I really had a hard time, uh, kind of putting into words why this isn't my favorite movie of the year because I loved Damien Chazelle. I loved this idea in the first place. Ryan Gosling is an amazing actor. I think he did great. Uh, this is like it, it's a great subdued performance. Definitely. Neil Armstrong might might just be kind of boring. Like as a guy, well, that's something that uh, yeah. Hunter was saying. Yeah, he's a workaholic, and it def you can see it affecting the family. Claire Foy, I think, is like fucking stunning. There's nothing bad. She she kills it. Um, and she's I, kind of a shoe in for supporting actors. Yeah, and that is a truly uh, props to Josh Singer. That's a part that I when I saw her at first, I was like, oh, she's just gonna be a throwaway like role that you know is just thankless. And it's a really well written character. And she's strong, and she does an amazing job. And I, I really loved her. Uh, 
and I, yeah, like you said, in the 50s, 60s, the man is just a workaholic, and that's all he does. And a lot of the time, we're watching him work. And I think the <laughs> the other uh, takeaway from that point is that um, these are his friends that are dying yeah. on these tests. Yeah, they're trying to, you know, they they set out on this uh, Gemini. Gemini or Gemini Gemini. uh, uh, project to basically do all of the work to get to Apollo, to make sure that Apollo is a success. And in that lives are lost. And you feel that in this movie because he's basically getting close to these guys as they work on this project and then seeing them either fucking burnt to a crisp or, you know, take taken their, their their lives are taken in some form or another so it becomes this mission not just to get to the moon but to honor the lives of the men that have sacrificed themselves in doing so definitely and i thought that i mean a the way that that fire scene was shot was like like chill inducing it was mm. so claustrophobic and so it's it's you know history spoiler but the apollo one mission <laughs> didn't go so great um and it was it was beautifully done I like all those actors. I like all the guys who played his friends. Uh, never, never cared too much about a lot of them. Um, <laughs> but again, this is not a movie about people like crying their way to the moon, I guess. You know what I mean? Right. So I, it's almost not even fair to criticize. It probably went like this. Like this seems like the most well-researched movie about the moon landing you could possibly make. I bet personal wise it's also well researched i bet he was just a quiet guy who worked really hard who was friends with other quiet guys who worked really hard one thing i wanted more of is uh cory stoll as, as buzz Aldrin. oh as buzz hey yeah. he's such a dick well yeah <laughs> he is a huge dick which is annoying i think if we saw more of him we would like him yeah. because buzz Aldrin is extremely outspoken he always has been mm. but they they gave buzz like three or four scenes and in two of them he's a massive asshole <laughs> he is but i think that that is also kind of who buzz is because he's so outspoken and he says from what i've heard uh doing a little bit of research after this movie is that buzz always said the shit that everybody else was thinking but nobody wanted to say so everybody thought that he was an asshole but really he's saying things that everybody know like there's that there's one scene in particular where some people die and then they're all talking about getting the lunar sweepstakes and he's like well there's a couple open spots now (laughs) what you guys are all thinking it i just said it and they're just like maybe you shouldn't say it yeah there yeah (laughs) yeah there there are two scenes where he literally is like hey i'm just saying what everyone's thinking (laughs) Um, but I, I just wanted more of him because he had, first of all, Corey Stoll is one of my favorite actors, like not even just as a, that guy. Every time I've seen him in anything, uh, save, owns. save, yeah, he, he had kind of a crappy part in Ant-Man. Um, yeah, but he was, but, you know, he and, was I good mean, for what it was in house of cards season one, like, Oh my God, he's yeah. so good. And in mm. this, I, I love him. Um, and I just, I just wanted a character that was showing a little more of, of anything. Um, I like the uh, the press conference scene. Yeah, where Neil is just being like, "Just a mission, you know. We're just here to do a mission." And then a Buzz is like playing with playing the- jokes, and they're like, "Neil, what are you gonna take with you?" He's like, "I take more fuel," because <laughs> <laughs> I I think that that's also true of the characters is that Neil was a very very dry humor kind of a person yeah yeah and that definitely comes through as this kind of that's why i i think it might partially be the writing partially be just the performance of Corey stoll but despite how much of a dick he is i found him like oddly charismatic yeah that's like a good number two to neil 
this is this is crazy. I I love this movie. I really do. I mean, I I like it a ton. It didn't affect me super emotionally, but it was just well executed on every front. I would say. Here's Wait. a movie that I think might have been better done by Chazelle, same writer. Second Man. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. A movie about a guy with a personality who also went to the moon, literally. Okay. I don't know. This is a movie about guy. So Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, just a, a Buzz movie starring Corey Stoll being a dick that you like, and also he still goes to the fucking moon, yeah, so you still get all the same scenes. That's not but, a horrible idea. But with yeah. a better character, I think. Well, okay, so on that point, I see what you're thinking, and I think that that would make a great movie, but I think that what Chazelle was drawn to is, I, I kind of want to get to spoilers to talk about exactly what I mean, but um, there's a key scene where Joel Edgerton's character goes up to Neil Armstrong um, and he tries to like basically get him to open up mm. and he tries to like Joel, be a, wait Joel Edgerton yeah is not in this movie I know right that's what I thought but then I kept looking at that guy and I was like that's Joel no Edgerton. It's, it's not I s- it's not you of Jason Clark yeah, yeah, the really ugly guy, right? Yeah, you're thinking of Jason Clark. Oh, he looks like Joel Edgerton. He does look like Joel. He looks Edgerton. like they have the same jawline. He looks too. like him in Bright. <laughs> oh my god, I fucked up. It I, is, it you is. said you said Joel Edgerton, and I was like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe he was in no, that, and I just missed it. They look the same. Yeah, they do because they're both kind of ugly. And in this movie, they really made Jason Clark ugly as shit. Um, I'm so. But I, right I know now. what you were about to say, though. You're, uh, this is yeah. Well, anyway, go ahead. What yeah. I was gonna say is that Neil Armstrong is struggling with some stuff in this movie, and I really want to get to it in spoilers. Um, but what happens is Jason Clark tries to go up to him and try to get him to talk about it and try to be his friend, because uh, he can tell that he needs a friend and he needs to be able to talk about these things. And Neil Armstrong just shuts him down. He just basically tells them to go away. And that scene, it's not a big Oscar scene like the Claire Foy uh, fight at the end. But it's kind of a a, a cornerstone of Mm. the character and of the film because it kind of encapsulates this guy who is just not very talkative, not very expressive, not willing to be vulnerable or emotional in any way. Doesn't make for the best movie character, but it makes sense why... Uh, someone like Chazelle would be kind of interested in why Gosling would be interested in that part. And that's why that's one of the things I really like about that. I mean, is I like this character that you see that is so closed off, but yeah, you still just like have to root for him because like he's so determined that he's sacrificing so many other things in his life just because he's so self-obsessed with putting himself on the moon and being that first man that's on there. And I there I mean like there's a scene where uh the very beginning of the movie where um Neil and his wife have a death and the very next day he's just like hey I'm going to work and everybody at his work is just like hey you know you can take some time off and he's like I know <laughs> but he's just there because he he's willing to do stuff and I mean I feel like this is relatable that whenever something happens in your life, sometimes you're willing to do whatever it takes to make you not think about that thing. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of this character in a nutshell is that he's willing to put everything else on the back burner just so he doesn't actually have to think about it and open it up. And for that being said, I I really loved uh, his performance and the writing of his character in this movie. 
Yeah, I appreciate it definitely. Yeah, um, I, I admire the film, and and the other big thing for me is just the way they were able to make the space program and and all these missions really seem like imminent death. Yeah, like these are guys climbing, so claustrophobic. Yeah, they're climbing into death machines to die. Like it's fucking nuts to the point where, like again, like I said earlier, there are times when you you know that things play out a certain way because it's it's historical, but you're still freaking out that this fucking spaceship is going to explode because of the way the the yeah. scene is executed. It, it was yeah, it's this is such a well-made movie that that I mean, I think the reason I'm even criticizing it at all is because the bar is like astronomical mm-hmm. pun Whoa. intended. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I mean I don't know. For some, I just left the theater and I was like, I was trying to like make myself love it, kind of, because I was like, I know this was so good. Like, I know it was. Why am I not crying? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you weren't crying at the end. I was. Well, I teared up, but let's I just get to, let's get to the end. Let's get to spoilers. All right. Um, you guys want to give ratings? Uh, I'm feeling a light eight, very light eight to, wow. to strong seven. Um, I mean. The directing of this movie is a 10 out of 10. Uh, the acting in this movie is a 9 out of 10. Uh, I, I got to give this movie at least an 8. But just on a visceral level that I almost can't ex- explain, aside from the fact that maybe I was just a little bored, that's the only knock I have on this movie. Is There were just there were spells where I was like, all right. I, I already knew the runtime was two and a half hours or whatever, so I was like... Mm-hmm. Why is this in here? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I I agree with that. I don't know. Sure. But I mean, I can't I can't even knock the movie too hard just because it's, you know, it's it's fucking incredible. A lot of it yeah. is just some of the best shit I've ever seen and then some of it is just like I'm bored. That's it. Um I give this movie a 9. I'm I'm going for it. <laughs> I think that like I mean, Damien just he just has a way of sucking me in. The first time I saw this, I was so swept away of the magnitude of it all. But then I'm glad that I saw this movie a second time because after knowing the plot beats of the movie and everything, I found myself a lot more interested. I mean, I was interested in the home life because of Claire Foy's performance, but I really cared more about him and his relationship with his kids and everything else. And everything, these astronauts, their like, friendship that was constantly wilting by members of their crew dying in action. And I was just all in on all that. So I just, I, I give this movie a nine out of 10. Like yeah. I said, I really think that this is yeah, I, the best movie of the year. Even I, if it's not necessarily my favorite. I definitely want to revisit it because I, I feel like some of my issues might disappear a little bit on, upon revisit. I, I just think the, the first watch through, I was just, I just wasn't as captivated as I could have been. But then again, I don't know if I would have liked the version of this movie. That's more, you know, epic and uh just wider in scope you yeah. know i mean i know it was a subdued role and a subdued character and a guy who was notoriously mellow but like just maybe one scene of him screaming he does <laughs> he, he does a good cry he, the, the cry movie. is amazing yeah. yeah and there's nothing wrong with what gosling did but just like one scene of him just like 
just like really going at it with his wife. There's a scene where his wife is telling him, and he's just not. He and doesn't he's, give her yeah, anything. And he's like, he's oh, just, oh, so okay, I, then. I know what I have. I have so many thoughts to say about okay. that, uh, that scene. Let's. But, uh, let's oh, get one into spoilers. thing I will say: if you guys have not seen this movie yet, see this movie in IMAX or Dolby, but really see it in IMAX just for the final scene. Yeah. There isn't really any IMAX shots in the rest of the movie. The entire final sequence is all shot in IMAX, and the stunning use of silence in those scenes yeah. feels so disparate and it feels like you are there in space. Well, they were. They shot on the moon. Yeah, they, they literally did it. went there. They did it. Yeah. And shouts to Elon Musk EP on this thing. Yeah. Well, they they didn't, but Jason Clark and Joel Edgerton were in two movies together. <laughs> okay, you know what? <laughs> they were they were in in Don or Are you Zero sure that, Dark are you 30. Sure that Jason Clark isn't just a body devil for <laughs> Joel yeah. Edgerton? They were in Great Gatsby and Zero Dark Thirty. Together. Were they in Chap Chapaquatic? Chapa, I don't know. It's like, it's like when you get like <laughs> twins to play a role so that you can like spell them kind of like they oh, both. Oh yeah, they're, they're the same character. They just both need a break, so like they bring in the other <laughs> Mary, guy. Mary Kate and Ashley. Edgerton. So email email us at webottomike at gmail dot com if you can tell them apart. Watch someone, through. G- someone Gatsby. tell Ernest that it's okay that he made this mistake. <laughs> it's, it's really fucking him up right now. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into spoilers for First Man. Yeah, right um, now. All right, so let's talk about that scene. Um, I think that that whole sequence is wait the ending. No, no, no. The uh, the, um, fight? the 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 fight scene between the two of them. I think that that is it. I can't say it's my favorite scene of the movie because the moon sequence is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's, cr- but it's crazy. That sequence is incredible, uh, and I think that's the best Ryan Gosling in the whole movie. Just because he has this moment when he's talking to his kids. It feels like he's in a press conference. Yes. He's just like, are there yeah. any other questions? <laughs> like, you're talking to your children who you may never see again, but he becomes so disconnected from his home life and the family that he just treats he just treats his kids like his kids and his wife like there are other people who are questioning whether his actions are it's actually rough. worth the cost. It's rough to see. Yeah, and I yeah I love that scene too because the the framing device of the press conference is like that's not like just like a coincidence or whatever like he it, it was intentionally exactly a press conference yeah. which which is great um and i i love the the oldest son shaking his hand i thought mm. that was very that was beautiful that was an emotional moment Oof. and again i gotta give mad props to claire foy i've never i don't think i've well i've seen her before but i've never been like oh that's claire foy she just won an, an emmy for the crown she mm. just she killed the role because when i first saw her she 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 has actor face yeah. Which, which is an unbelievably angular jaw that you do not see on anyone but an actor. Right. And she sank into this part. I don't want to look up what his wife actually looked like, but I bet it's more like like Martha Washington or whatever. <laughs> but she did great. Well, Gosling doesn't look like Neil. Oh, Armstrong. not at all. No, and there there are some scenes where he's wearing the the uh, short sleeve button down where you're like, he's jacked as fuck underneath <laughs> yeah. that. Like, he's so jacked. Neil is not that ripped. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. But I mean, it was an unbelievable acting performances by the both of them. I think they had solid chemistry. Uh, I like the sad guys. What was it going to... Oh, so to your point earlier, this isn't even a spoiler, but about Chazelle uh, being drawn to this character. Mm-hmm. That is the truth right there. If you listen to any interview with Chazelle, he's almost really annoying. Yeah. He's the, he's the kind of guy who is like 
you know, the old Hollywood had it right. And now movies these days, I don't even understand them. Well, he wrote a whole fucking monologue yeah. in La La Land about why jazz is dying. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's he really is, like, he. the only difference between him and, like, us when we're being annoying about uh, CGI is that he it can do anything. So he can back up his criticism with modern Hollywood with making a movie that's better than modern Hollywood. Yeah. But that is why he appreciates this. He is mentally r slash le wrong generation <laughs> on reddit and he's like america was better when a good man would just put his head down and work and yeah. that's that's the movie when we when we put a bunch of loose copper wires together and fucking went to the moon damn it <laughs> um but yeah there snl ran a sketch last night where uh kyle mooney plays a 22 year old film student with a podcast and and a i was really triggered but b i was thinking first of all i was thinking about us yeah and then i was thinking about chazelle because i was like he he's kind of like that but also he's the only one of us that can make something this magnificent it's crazy to me that the same guy that shot uh la la land also shot uh first man and i think he shot whiplash too yeah I'm, Um, i'm gonna look it up but uh it's it's insane because this mo- the cinematography in this movie uh, earlier we talked about it not looking uh, like CGI you know all these space yeah, yeah. sequences are very very realistic but also um, the fact that it's all handheld when you're in the rocket capsules and that fucking camera is shaking around a lot of times I thought that it was a little bit too much and it kind of annoyed me a little bit. But also, it just really puts you in that headspace of feeling like you're just in this very cramped space, shooting up into fucking yeah. space. And you know, it's not this like glamorous, grand thing where like the music is soaring and the rocket is going up. You know, it's you're just fucking in this capsule yeah, about they, to die. Yeah, and that's why that didn't bother me so much. Um, I saw this with my girlfriend, and that bothered her. She was like, "It was like five minutes worth it's of some, just shaking." Yeah, but it was nauseating. like. But again, uh, Josh Singer, who wrote this, he wrote Spotlight. Uh, he is He's the type and of... And The Post. Yeah, and The Post. So he is a research-based screenwriter. And Chazelle, obviously, is a scientific mind with everything that he does. So I'm sure in reading books about space travel and what it's like again and again and again, what came up was the shaking and the sounds and the fact that you cannot see anything. And he was like, well, I don't want the audience to see anything then. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really it's like, logical. It gives you like motion sickness watching this, and especially be, in like an IMAX setting. You only have the tiny little window in the corner that they can look out of. Uh, and I really liked the sequence where they go into orbit mm. um, and they're trying to redock with the spaceship uh, and they start spinning out of control. And mission control is saying that they're spinning so fast that they're going to pass out. So they uh, click off Claire Foy's radio that she's hearing the mm-hmm. mission to. Yeah. And she flips out and goes to Mission Control and demands that she hear. And they're like, well, we're doing everything we can do. We got it all we under have, control. We have protocols. And they're like, fuck yeah. you boys and your protocols. Yeah, <laughs> You're just building models out of popsicle sticks or balsa wood or whatever yeah. she says. I loved her character. Yeah. No, yeah, she was great. I mean... I I love that sequence too because it was very subtle and not like an in your face kind of thing because it's alluded to earlier in the movie where they talk about just like oh whenever you're like 
that close to orbit, if you speed up, it actually slows down your acceleration. It slows down like your Turing and everything. Like it's backwards from what you would right. think. But instead of there isn't like a moment when Ryan Gosling is in the ship, he's just like, ah, oh, I have to speed up in order to slow down or anything like that. It's something that you could completely miss and just figure out like, oh, he did the thing to make it stop spinning. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like little seeds like that are planted where there is a little bit of tech mumbo jumbo, but I and I feel like most people are smart enough to just figure it out. And if they're not, then it's well directed enough for you to be able to figure yeah, you it can, out with context. Yeah, clues. you can fucking look around and see what they're talking about. If you don't know what this term is, they're talking about something that you're looking at. Yes. So, like if they call the moon something funny, you can look and see that it's the moon and you yeah. get it. Like that's that's what I meant earlier. The alternative is it's interstellar. And everyone's just always like, an astronaut is like, hey, where are we? And they're like, oh, we're in space. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> um, so here's here's a tangible thing that I think, because I know it's a subdued movie about subdued people, about a subdued country, an, an emotionally very stunted country that kept everything boiling, you know, on the afterburner or whatever. Um, a couple of scenes I thought they could have, gone for it more not just neil because neil's a quiet guy for example there's this really really great uh little sequence where claire foy looks out the window and sees the wife of the astronaut who just died Mm -hmm. and she's just standing there like at the trunk of her car and it totally spaced out and for about 30 okay let's not (laughs) (laughs) for about 30 seconds it feels like a horror movie almost like i just it's incredibly shot to the point because you can't see her face. Right. And she's just walking up slowly and you just get this feeling. You know nothing's going to happen bad, but you just feel like she's going to turn around and just fucking shoot herself or something. Oof. And I didn't want that to happen. Right. That, that would be just a cornball and not historically accurate. But I f- basically what happens is she turns around. This, this actress gives an amazing facial performance of just this look of like, I'm lost. Yeah, um, but she still has like that smile on her face too. It's all acting with yeah, her just eyes. yeah, this face of like everything's okay, and th- that was really well done. And then Claire Foy takes her inside, and then it cuts back to astronauts. And I wanted just like maybe a minute, maybe even just a shot of she takes her inside, and this lady just like fucking wailing on the floor, like in the fetal position, just something because the whole movie is obviously like I said, it's gonna be subdued, but you could just have like. A two-second shot of her fucking losing it, her mind so you know what Claire Foy is dealing with even more. Mm-hmm. You already know that she's dealing with, like, that could be me. But what if she's like, that could be me? Yeah. But I feel like that might almost seem, come across as, like, disingenuine to the rest of the movie because the rest of the movie is so subdued yeah. that to have something that over-the-top and... uh <laughs> in capital a acting moment i feel like that might feel a little there's bit there's a way to do it so it, from... it's not that you no know? but i mean that's that's one of the reasons why like i love that scene because it was it it kind of epitomized the whole feeling of the movie is everybody just telling themselves like this is okay we're okay now we can't feel the, anything this is fine yeah i i get that and I get why and everything, but the, I don't think it would be a tonal clash because I wouldn't call that over the top at all. I would call a woman crying because her husband died extremely normal. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah, no matter how dramatic the crying is, she could be totally going for it. And I'd be like, yeah, your husband's dead. Totally. Another Go scene, ham. another scene with her that I really loved is the two of them talking uh, before her husband dies about like having a normal life or something like that. 
and she's just like uh, one of my sorority sisters uh, has like a normal life. Her husband is a dentist, and he comes home by six o'clock every day. And sometimes she, every few months, she calls me to tell me that he, she wishes that he didn't. Yeah. yeah, and something like that. That's just like it puts everything back in perspective. Where you have these people who are truly like extraordinary people, but there is the danger and the downside that comes with being an extraordinary person having to live with somebody who is living this extraordinary life. Um, I want to make sure we get to the ending. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and lay the, the groundwork for that. What do you guys think? I, I didn't know that Neil Armstrong had a daughter that, that died young. Did you guys know this? No, no, I, I didn't know that. And okay. I, you know, I didn't know he went on that mission in the beginning that almost he died. He almost died. Yeah. And that was an amazing scene as well. Oh, the, op- the very opening of the movie where, yeah, where he's in space. Well, not the very opening, but when he's in space and they go into the turn. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's what I was talking about earlier. But that yeah, you, you feel like it's actually going to be tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about the daughter either though. I, I thought that, um, honestly, I don't care if they made this up or not. I, I'm not one of those people that's going to be like... What about the th- him throwing the thing in Yeah, the, so at yeah. the very yeah. end of this movie, you get this beautiful moon landing sequence that culminates in... After a whole movie's worth of Neil Armstrong being detached from his wife and his children and, and his home life, taking the time to remember his lost daughter when he gets to the moon and basically crowning his life's work and his highest achievement with this little bracelet that his daughter left behind. And this is what I was talking about earlier about Chazelle earning the the ending because like I said, I just wasn't really clicking with this movie with this personal emotional bedrock that the film was laying because I was I was totally about all the space stuff. Loved all of that, but totally not really invested in the home life stuff. And then this ending happens that I was floored. I was absolutely floored when he opens his hand and you see that little bracelet. My jaw dropped and, and my my eyes started to well up. And I was just like, oh, my God. I I didn't think that, that this movie was about to pull this shit. Like, do you guys think he Chazelle earned it? Do you think it matters if it's, you know realistic historically realistic or not no i don't no uh, it doesn't matter because this is a movie right this <laughs> that's that's what i think yeah yeah i i yeah i totally bought that scene i loved it um i would i was almost worried it was just going to be him walking on the moon and then roll credits mm-hmm. and uh that would have been cool because the, the whole moonwalk shit was always you know, that was all incredible and it yeah. looks it looks kind of scary okay too. no it, it does and one thing i will say um this is like a little just another just pointing out the technical marvel that Chazelle is, the best cut from a normal camera to an IMAX camera that I've ever seen. It's them walking out of, from the little entryway, this little port that they have to the moon landing, and it's black, like deep, deep black on the edges of the frame, and then the camera just swooshes through, and it cuts into an IMAX camera. Like as it, is, it swooshes? As it swooshes, it Whoa. cuts to full IMAX. Amazing. It's the best use of like the best cut that I've seen. I talked about it a little bit whenever uh, rewatching the Dark Knight, how it's almost like startling, like the cuts from IMAX to non IMAX because yeah. it's not very well done. Granted, this was kind of near the origins of people using IMAX cameras and stuff like that ten years ago, but I just think everything about that is so marvelous and 
the use, how it just, that whooshing and then just into complete silence. Like, that's why things like that are why I think this movie deserves every technical Oscar. Like, everything, like cinematography, sound design, sound yeah. mixing, just, well, just for that. Just when you're in the rocket lifting up, just the, the absolute the, the rattling. Grumble, yeah. yeah, the sparks and the the you know the fucking rush of space closing in on you like all of that is done through sound because you can't you can barely even see what's happening on the screen with the camera shaking all over the place um but yeah the the all of the emotional family stuff i think is absolutely paid off Mm. in that finale and even though throughout the whole movie i wasn't quite vibing with it 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 really really tied it together well for me at the end there with that yeah that little it, bracelet it, so simple but it, so effective it was very effective and also i mean it's not something that's ever overdone which is one thing that i like i mean we keep having these like kind of flashbacks of uh neil with his daughter and everything before she died <laughs> and it Aww. all pays off in like the most beautiful way that we finally we see like we're seeing like snippets of this flashback scene before and then we get like a longer cut of it all coming together with this like vintage uh, aesthetic that's put over the shot to make it almost look like old home video kind of style, but that's like how it's playing in his head. Uh, you know, the I just whole look, that was... the look of the whole movie is gorgeous. It's cool. It it's looks film. like it's a movie that's made like twenty years the ago. The beauty, well, it's the beauty of shooting on film. Yeah, you know, it's not digital. It's, yeah, it's this gorgeous. It looks old timey. Yeah, but it has the technology of being a 2018 film and honestly back in the old days they actually had it right and now we're a bunch of clowns <laughs> um i think i wanted to talk about was um just, just some... sorry but just watch watch this sketch with kyle and you're gonna like change the way you talk about movies to not be that annoying <laughs> i already get called pretentious like every single day in my life so I'm <laughs> yeah just, exactly. there's no going back now i'm like oh no this is what i'm like um i uh i I actually found this movie for being a movie. It's so subdued. I actually thought that there were some really good laughs in the movie, uh, especially yeah. from the um, ancillary characters. Like, not so much with Neil. He does have a couple, like, funny, dry quips in there. But, um, like, even before uh, in the scene in the Apollo 1 mission that uh, explodes during the testing, we have them, like, kind of talking together. It's just them, like, oh, like, they can't even communicate with each other. And they're like, how are we supposed to talk through space if we can't even talk through three bones? And they're like, what? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were um, – I mean, one thing about Gosling is he is funny. Like, he – it's not like a – I don't know. It's not like a try-hard funny thing. Right. He First of all, his he looks funny. He has a funny face. Um, I don't know if you guys think this, too. He finds sexy funny. He's a hunk. <laughs> he's good looking, but he's like goofy. He's yeah. definitely goofy, and he just has this face where he always looks like he's about to laugh. Even he in, always it, he it, always has that little smirk, like here I go acting again. Yeah, <laughs> in, in a lot of the serious moments, his face he just has this tiny little smile. Yeah, just, it's just that little smirk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's really good at delivering. Like he did a good job with the character. He's good at delivering these dry little lines. Like the one to Buzz was very funny. He was like, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't say what everyone's thinking." Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I can't take that away. It was, it was a decently funny movie. Definitely better than uh, Singer's last movie, The Post, which was uh, pretty, 
pretty bad script. And that I will that kind of had me a little bit worried with the singer. I was like, oh, this is gonna be very like preachy, but it's really not preachy. And like very small scene that's only like a minute or two long. The protest after right? yeah after the Apollo One blow up, and we have all these people protesting, saying that like it's not worth it, and that they're taking our tax dollars, and this the money could be going. Really cool there. The music. There, the um, the money should be going to like helping people who need like fresh water and food and shit, which yeah. is all valid points. And then we have, yeah, we have that singer like singing like, but Whitey's on the moon. Oh, yeah. like yeah, that that music drop was incredible. And then when it turned into like you know the the studio claps or whatever, like I was like, and wow, it carries, wow, wow, it carries into the next scene. Yeah, it was yeah, really well done. That that had some momentum to it. Um, I at the end of the day, I'm not totally sure what stance the. It seemed like the movie was just like, yeah, that happened, but sorry, motherfuckers. I think that it's... <laughs> but, I mean, one of the things... Uh, one of my biggest takeaways whenever coming out of the film, like, something that was, like, sticking with me was that this movie perfectly encapsulate, like, encapsulates how small and little we are as people, but how extraordinary some of the things are that we're able to accomplish. And I think that Good that's point. kind of... It's not necessarily taking a stand, that whole thing. It's just showing, like, hey, yeah, this is, like, kind of ludicrous what we're doing right now. Um, no offense to the rapper. But we could be using these resources for things that are, like, actually practical here on Earth. Yeah. But there's this innate human desire to go explore the unknown and to go out there and do whatever it takes to kind of further ourselves as a human race. And I think that that's kind of the point that that whole scene was trying to make. And I thought that that was all excellently well done. And I think that that's um, furthered by the small moment we get of Gosling of, of Armstrong after he's testing the lunar lander and he crashes yep. and he's talking to supervisors like we're past the point of yeah there's like is it worth it? yeah they're like is it worth it for the cost and they're just like well we're a little bit past that yeah, point it's like all point. my fucking best friends are dead we have exactly. to fail down here so we don't fail up there because and that is one thing that's perfectly shown in this movie is that one tiny little thing happens there's one loose wire and you explode and people fucking die and people will die yeah. like that's those are the stakes yeah and that's why we haven't gone back well that and the fact that it was all faked <laughs> yeah. This doesn't it didn't quite have the ending that I was hoping for. The Kubrick but, uh, ending. The Kubrick ending yeah. where it just pans out yeah. and just cuts over to Stanley Kubrick yelling, Cut! That's a wrap. <laughs> or what if they just <laughs> they leave the atmosphere and they look back and Earth is totally flat? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Whoa, that's incredible. Sick, yeah, dude. And you're like, damn, Damien's one of those guys. <laughs> like a, they take a rip of a jewel. <laughs> yeah. And then Bruh. it's a vape cloud in the spaceship. Yeah, and then they go to the oh, moon yeah. and the moon is flat too. <laughs> That's what I wanted. That's why I give this an eight. <laughs> that's why. That's the problem. Oh, um, one thing that was really got me was the cutting whenever they get to the moon between the actual video and dialogue of the moon landing itself. Because at first I was like, that's not Ryan Gosling's voice. That's yeah. not it. But it, it like, took me a little second. But it was the actual moon landing itself. We were watching cut together with this grand IMAX scene of the moon and i just, i thought that was beautiful yeah i agree um real quick before we wrap up i wanted to give a shout out to justin Hurwitz because i think the score in this was really beautiful i really yeah. liked it it was i mean like the rest of the movie it was pretty subdued and then in space it got very big mm -hmm. um which is it was appropriate the i mean it was 
like uh like most movies it was based on like a bass just little melody and then they change it up so on earth that melody was played uh by a harp mm-hmm. for the most part and then once they go to space so it's like a whole orchestra an entire orchestra joins and and then also shout out to the theremin yeah there's, yeah. there's a good amount of theremin i I think most effectively used when Gosling is actually on Earth. They use it a couple of times, and it's like, damn. Like it's Whenever like, he's like looking up to the stars yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it really, the moon. that was really effective to be like, this guy is totally focused on space. Like, that's all he's thinking about. He's just sitting at the kitchen table, and the theremin's playing it. And I was like, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, good good uh, score. Another another stray observation: um, the testing machine that we get, where they spin them around, yeah, in, like, yeah, yeah. 360 Oof. degrees. I thought that was really well done. Just the look of that whole room and the, that whole contraption. This is yeah. This is why I compared to Nolan because the how do you get a camera to spin around? Like yeah, that? yeah. Like it's, I, a, it's so hard. Yeah. It's a it's hard to shoot like one person like moving. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like this, so a lot of the shots in this were very Nolan, just like obviously he just planned like this one shot for like two months to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And that machine was one of them in the spaceship, obviously, was the others. And another uh, comedic moment, the uh, the chalkboard where they yeah. draw the scale of the distance oh, yeah. from the Earth to the moon. And he's like, bring over the other chalkboard. Yeah, yeah, it's got to yeah. be the scale. Yeah. That Fucking was funny. Scientists. <laughs> Shouts to uh, Kyle Chandler. We yeah. haven't even mentioned him. Yeah. Kyle Chandler was great. Hey, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kyle Chandler. Doing his Chandler. thing, man. Yeah, Shout, he... Shouts out to Bloodline. Haven't watched it yet, mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> I, watched, I watched season one. It's It's amazing. Don't care to watch season two and three, <laughs> maybe one day. You went off on a high note there. So. Yeah, it was great. It was an awesome show. Ben Mendelsohn. That was my introduction to Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, great, great acting in this movie. Uh, great directing. I think I just wanted a little more from the yeah, script. I think, I think my big thing here is that Whiplash is so fucking perfect and La La Land is so just ambitious and i mean i mean first man is definitely ambitious but i think la la land just delivers on a whole nother level that i was kind of hoping that this would too it's not a bad movie i think it's a great movie actually i think it's definitely worthy of the top 10 of the year it might it might end up there we'll we'll see um but i don't know i think chazelle is better than how i felt about this movie what? I still admire it, and I still marvel at what he achieved here. I, it just didn't really resonate with me as much as something like Whiplash okay, and that, La La I mean, Land that, That's fair. I, uh, I think that – I mean, I would say that my order for Chazelle is Whiplash, La La Land, and then First Man. Yeah, me too. But Same. I do think that this kind of uh, – what he goes for in this movie is the ambition of La La Land and the visceral tension of Whiplash. It's like a marriage. And it, it's and you kind of lose a little bit of both of those aspects, but I didn't I, I still think that this is an amazing feat. And I I see I can see where he's going. I just really am just ready to see what he does next. Well he's like, supposed I, to work on the Netflix thing. 
It's some some Paris uh, music. Yeah, I, I, the musical uh, kind of thing. Uh, but he's going back to saving jazz again. Yeah. What about uh, what about Neil bringing a little bit of a light jazz big band into oh, space? Oh yeah, the, cast, the cassette. There's, there was just that little bit that was like, oh, I knew it. I knew Neil was gonna do. I just wanted him to like turn to somebody and be like. God, jazz is dying. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the whole tap dance sequence on the moon. I guess we don't have time for that. <laughs> I was, you know what I was glad is when he put that record on, I was glad that he wasn't like, you know, music was actually better back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and actually now we're, we're bad. And now back then we were good. Yeah, um, we got these, the Beatles. Ugh. You had yeah. uh, any final thoughts, Drew? Yeah, I, I feel silly criticizing this movie because I, I could never even try to make anything as amazing yeah. as this movie is but i don't think any of the problems are on chazelle i think i i'm not i'm just not a huge fan of josh singer i don't think mm-hmm. i was kind of disappointed by spotlight i don't really like the post i like spotlight I don't, spotlight was a great movie that i will never see again well it's like yeah it's a great movie that never should have won the oscar yeah. for best picture yeah. mm-hmm. and it i think that he just really i mean with the post he went for like a standard movie um but I think this is more in the vein of spotlight of like let's just stick to the facts and not really what, do anything else. What do you guys else like f- think for forecasting for the Oscars? Like, what do you think that this for is this? going to be the favorite for? Oh, Claire Foy, hundred percent. Yeah, I hope she gets supporting and then some technical stuff. And well, yeah, that's the other thing with Chris what about Nolan is directing. He'll be nominated. Out. He'll be nominated. I don't think he'll be the f- the the front runner. For yeah, the I winner. I I mean, we'll see what else comes out. The th- yeah, the thing that. I th- I, th- I mean, he's obviously like a top th- three director working today. I think that one reason I like, um, what's his name? The, uh, Arrival. I feel stupid. Uh, uh, Denny. Yeah. Denny. I, I think Denny. I like Denny more because I think there's a little more imagination in what he does. Well, he does. He is a better sci-fi mind, I think. I mean, really, all of his projects have had a level of sci-fi to him. The reason why I give Damien Chazelle a nod over Denis is mostly because he has directed three movies in a beyond competent kind of way. Yeah, and they were all, they were all different. Killer. And I mean, even though I do think that I would put Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 as uh, above this movie, I do think that Damien Chazelle has more, he has, he has more of a creative vision uh, throughout different kind of facets of filmmaking well yeah that's that's the thing i want to see him do something else even like i want to see what this dude's limits are because on a technical level there are no limits to what he's capable of um but i haven't seen there are shots in arrival that are not shots that were written if that makes sense there are shots that are like no one like he came up with that it's not in the script there's no reason for it but it works that's the one thing that uh chazelle has left i think but uh, yeah. this movie's great, man. Like, I don't want to even talk shit. Like, what am I yeah. even saying? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that this is, I think that he should be. I mean, we still are in mid-October, so we're still going to have a couple more award seasons. But this is the best directed film that I've I seen I mean, you year. haven't you haven't seen Venom, though. So <laughs> well, Tom Hardy's really... winning that. He's got that in the bag. He's winning for directing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, let's wrap it up. That is First Man. Check it out now in theaters. And let us know what you thought at We Bought a Mic on Twitter and We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you let us know what um, the moon is like when you're Take up there. Take the BuzzFeed quiz and find out which astronaut are you. Yeah. Are you um, Ben Affleck, Billy Bob Thornton, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Lieutenant Dan. Bruce Willis. <laughs> um, um, Forrest Gump. Liv Tyler. Optimus Prime. <laughs> All right. Uh, where, where can we find your stuff on the internet? Um, I'm at Twitter and Letterboxd at uh, Hunt Mobley. Um, you can uh, follow my journey through the Halloween uh just whole spectrum with well, me. Well, Halloween is next week, so you're going to have to kick it into high gear. I've decided, By Halloween, I meant the date of Halloween and not okay. the movie of Halloween because okay. that's not going to happen. But, you know, maybe I'll just watch through Curse of Michael Myers because Curse of Michael Myers is a truly horrendous film. So that's the main one that I want to Is that to. the Paul Rudd? Yep. Oh, okay. That's baby Paul Rudd. All right, what about you, Drew? Uh, I'm around. Uh, my address is... Um, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Nine. Yeah. Oh, you know what I was going to do is I was going to give our old apartments address, but I, <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember it. It's uh, 12101 Bento. University Boulevard. Yeah, there you Just go. going to Bento and say, I'm here for We Bought a Mic. And Order. You'll get, you'll get 15% off your first purchase. Email, email Send mail to my dorm at the Apollo <laughs> Mailing Center. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm around. Uh, Drew, D-I-E-T. It should be the Apollo 11. Z-E-N. Mailing Center. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Spotify, all around the internet. Well, I gotta go. You can you can find all that in the links below, including my uh, Twitter, Calernist, uh, and I'm also on Letterbox at Calernist. So hit me up on there. Um, we'll see you next week with Halloween. Bye bye. <laughs>